You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Would you rather eat a baby goat or a matter baby? A matter baby? Yeah. What's the matter baby? <laughs> Nothing, sugar. What's the matter with you? <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore that Well, I hope you all are having a fantastic Monday. I know it's usually a rough day for some people, but just do like I did and take the day off, and then it's a great day. It's like Saturday or Sunday all over again simple. I don't, I don't know why you guys don't think of these things. Jeez, I got to do everything for you people. But on this glorious day, we're, well, we're just going to keep doing what we've been doing. Talking about football. Same thing we do every day, Pinky. Enough. So not a ton going on in the world. Um, obviously, we already talked about the big draft. I do think I, I was going through a uh, mock draft. That uh, mock draft is going to drop at noon. And I don't want to give it away too much, but there was a team that I drafted for because they're anticipating getting rid of somebody, and then it dawned on me, there might be some big trades still coming. The, um, the Baltimore Ravens have a right tackle that is unbelievably talented that has said, I don't want to be here anymore, I want to play left tackle. That doesn't mean he has to get moved, but if he's going to essentially demand a trade or whatever, and the Baltimore Ravens are ready to move on, they may be trading him. And there's almost no doubt in my mind they can get some pretty sweet compensation for that guy. So just for example, if there's a team out there that really wants a left tackle, that wants somebody that's 24 years old and uh, extremely talented, it probably cost them a first-round pick. So that's a possibility. There's also talk that uh, the New, or, uh, excuse me, New England Patriots want Jimmy Garoppolo back, which makes perfect sense. The 49ers are done with him, despite lying and saying that they plan on keeping him. We're not moving on. Like, <laughs> come on, dude. Maybe not this year, but he's gone. However, New England did quite well with Jimmy. A lot better than they are doing now with Cam. Makes sense to me. So the point is, we've got uh, how much time here? 31 days. A lot can happen in 31 days. Hopefully some of those things happen sometime this week, because if things keep not happening, I'm going to keep not having things to talk about. But in that vein, I want to get back into our question and answer, because there's still a pile of questions to get to. This one... Well, I didn't take the name down because I'm dumb. But somebody asked me, will Goot trade up in the first round again? If so, how high can he go in the first without getting the rest of his, without gutting the rest of his draft picks? Well, let's start with the first part of the question. Will Goot trade up in the first round again? I really, really don't think so. I know he has this very strange thing where he really likes to trade up in the first round. But given how not great the contract situation is, it's going to be very important that we backfill a lot of positions because we're going to have to start letting guys go. It has to happen. And they don't necessarily have to know who they're letting go, which could explain why they're just backfilling or backloading everybody's contract. Possibly we just take as many swings of as many positions as possible, and if we hit on one or two, guess what? Those are the two that go bye-bye. I don't know. I'm, I'm just saying it would make sense that we're going for quantity at this point. So I think trading back is a more realistic situation than trading forward. And there is, in fact, a historic precedent for that. This could entirely be a coincidence. Or there could be something about picking at 29 where generally trading up is not your best option. However, trading back or staying, a better option. 
Here's a tweet that I put out in reference to this question, by the way, because somebody got mad at me for even pointing this out. But uh, via me, only see one instance where a team traded up from the 29th spot. It was the Packers in 1998. They traded their first and second round picks to the Dolphins to move up to 19 overall to draft Vonnie Chocolate Thunder Holiday. I put that in there because I searched Vonnie Holiday's career to get a little insight into the guy because I thought it was interesting. And it said right there his nickname was Chocolate Thunder. So I thought that was fantastic and I better include that. I do remember Vonnie Holiday, but sort of like, you know, like I remember a lot of things as a kid. I remember watching a lot of movies, but I don't understand them until I get older. Just watching this and I call my dad like, dude, why did you let me watch this? Are you cra- <laughs> crazy? I'm kidding. I don't call I, I watched Texas Chainsaw Massacre when I was like four, so I don't, I don't ask him things like that. But yeah, I, I remember the name. That's about it. But anyways, the point is, I mean, as far back as I can possibly go, we're talking one time a team traded up from 29. Once. However, we do have several instances of teams trading back or trading into pick 29, obviously, because they both have to happen. 2013, the Minnesota Vikings traded up to 29 to pick Cordero Patterson with the New England Patriots. Patriots got Jamie Collins, Logan Ryan, Josh Boyce, and that's it out of that trade. So I feel like the Patriots maybe won that trade. In 2012, the year before, the Vikings again traded up, this time getting Harrison Smith. Baltimore Ravens traded out, got Courtney Upshaw and Gino Gradkowski, so Vikings won that trade. Uh, the Falcons once, uh, let's see, what year was it? 2004, traded up to get Michael Jenkins. Interestingly enough, the Colts also gave them pick 90 overall, which ended up being Matt Shaw, which ended up being a better pick than uh, Michael Jenkins. The Colts got garbage for that. 1995, the Panthers moved up to get Blake Brockenmeyer. And in 1994, the Cleveland Browns moved up to 29 with the Philadelphia Eagles to get Derek Alexander. And we're at an era where these guys might be good, but I don't know their names. So I'm just going to just going to not comment on the quality of the players because I have no idea. But the point is, generally, this is an area where teams trade back. Somebody in the early second round wants to get back into the first round. They're willing to give up some pretty good value to get up there. And it makes more sense for the team in the second round to take that elevated value than to pick these guys with their board kind of sitting there going, a lot of the really, really good guys aren't here anymore. So, you know, I'm going to kind of just bail on this whole thing. And this only goes back to 1994 that I can see. So since 1994, one time, a team has traded up. So I guess you can say there's like a 1 in 26 chance. But again, you compound that with the the idea that I, I at the very least, even if they don't trade back, I think it's a bad idea to trade up and give away picks. You need picks. I'm not saying never trade up. You know, you can get a lot of value in the later rounds moving up a little bit for giving up almost nothing. But in the first round, it's always going to cost you more. So just for reference, if we're looking at uh, just a general trade chart, uh, you have to give up at a minimum a fifth round pick. And a fifth round pick would move you up one spot. So that's useless. Like if you want to move up to 28, you give up a fifth round pick. Nobody's going to do that. If you give up a fourth round pick, you can move up about three spots. So we can move up to 26 if you give up a fourth-round pick. And already with the fourth-round pick, you're talking about some pretty decent value. Can maybe get to pick 23 if we give up a third-round pick. And then you're talking about pick 19 or 18 or 19 or so for a second-round pick. So think about that. I mean, teams that pick 18 or 19 are kind of bummed because all the really, really good players are kind of gone. I mean, you know, obviously there's still a lot of talent left in the draft, but you get to like like 12-ish. And that's where the the big drop-off tends to occur. So if you want to get up to like, eh, this is decent territory as opposed to, eh, this isn't great territory, it's going to cost you your second-round pick. Now, again, it just depends on your board, and obviously I have no idea what their board looks like. I have have no clue. 
And if there's a guy that they think is a top 10 talent that falls to the, you know, 20 range, are they willing to give up a second round pick? I don't know, maybe. I know they're not going to want to at all, but who knows? And obviously you can go up from there if you give up additional picks, but I'm not going to sit here and do every single combination. Just just know that I think at the most they would give up like a third round pick, maybe like a third and then some. But again, I think that's really stupid because they need a lot of things. But I would say when you start, when when the draft gets to like 23 or 24, now you're looking at a period where if the Packers are going to trade up, it's going to happen around now. I mean, anywhere from now until, you know, 26 or something. So from from 23 to 26 is like the trade range. After that, it's like, yeah. But again, in my opinion, are they going to? I really, I would kind of doubt it this year. Got a draft question from Jonathan Bry, Bray, Bree, I don't know. Do you think that Gutekunst will go after a cornerback from Appalachian State and get Sean Jolly in the NFL draft this year. So I, I'd never heard of Sean, Sean Jolly, so I went down like a rabbit hole. And this is actually kind of funny. So I thought he was talking about two different guys. Is he going to get the corner from Appalachian State and get Sean Jolly? And I'm like, this is a super random question, but uh, let's dig into it. So I'm like, all right, who's the guy from Appalachian State? So I searched the big board, and there's only two guys from App State. One of them is a corner, and I said, oh, there he is, Shamar Jean Charles. Let's check the guy out. So I looked at him. Turns out he's actually pretty good. 5'11", 190 pounds. He's played uh, four years, but two full years at App State. Um, his grades are decent. I mean, 66, 74, 76, and 83. So he's gone up every single year, really broke out in, year, uh, in his final year in 2020, and really has not ever been bad. His coverage grades have been fantastic the last three years, and actually the reason he really broke out this past year is that his run defense and tackling grade also went through the roof. On 52 targets, and this is this is remarkably low, on 52 targets, he's only allowed 17 receptions, which is less than a third. He allowed less than 200 yards, 198, two touchdowns, a pick, and 16 pass breakups for a passer rating of 50.0. 16 pass breakups. He had nine the year before. So this guy's something else. Now, again, I, I, this isn't the greatest competition in the world, but he clearly stands out at this level. If we look at where he's expected to be drafted at this particular point in time, and it looks like he kind of came onto the map around, uh, what would this be, February. It's kind of funny. If you look at the, uh, if you track these guys, you can kind of see there's a big spike. In other words, they weren't even on the list. Nobody ever knew their name, and then boom, they're suddenly on the list. But he's tracked pretty consistently around 250. His peak was 231. Uh, Right now, he's sitting at 254 overall. So we're kind of looking at, uh, you know, late round, possibly undrafted free agent type, or maybe just this is one of those guys that really isn't getting picked up by the the draft media, and he could go, you know, round four. I don't know. But uh, 5'11", 190, playing for a small school is probably the biggest thing that's going to push him down. Um, Obviously, I can't comment on his tape because I have not watched him. I could, I could, let me see if I can find the guy. All right, so I did get to watch a little bit, um, nothing on my little database thing here, but I found a couple clips of him on uh, YouTube, found, watched him against Marshall. Obviously, that's not a full scouting breakdown, but I will say I like the guy because he's very Jair-esque. He's a smaller guy that's real quick twitchy and very violent. He likes to hit. He likes to tackle. He likes to talk. He got a late hit out of bounds penalty, like, first quarter, <laughs> so... Yeah, I, I, I like the guy. Now, the interesting part of the story here in terms of this question is that after I did all this little assessment that I did, I'm like, all right, let's check out who Sean Jolly is. Sean Jolly is a corner for App State. <laughs> so I think that's who he was talking about. 
Now, I will say Sean Jolly is not as good. He did have a real big year in 2019, so maybe, because I'm assuming you're an App State fan, maybe he's sort of the big name, real freakish corner, like this guy's going places and nobody's talking about him and I'm mad. Um, 2019, he was uh, an absolute phenom. However, here's the problem. 2018 and 2020 were not great. On top of that, he's 5'9", 180. So I don't really think this guy's necessarily going places. Could be entirely wrong. I don't know. I'm not trying to trash the guy. I'm just saying. I'm putting my money on the first guy sooner than I'm putting my money on Sean Jolly. But we'll see how it goes. Do one more question before the break. Brandon Stinger Stringer wants to know, favorite signing over the last two offseasons? I don't know that I can give a different answer other than Zadarius, can I? I mean, unless you're talking about this offseason and last offseason, but I'm going to, I guess, cheat and say last one and the one before because, I mean, this one's not over yet. Plus, we <laughs> you might as well just say favorite signing of, of last year. I mean, I really like Adrian Amos, and I've been banging the table about him a lot, but Zadarius has been a massive difference maker. And anytime you get a guy that, even though he wasn't it last year, he was still very productive last year. And two years ago, we had the best pass rusher in football on this team. Not only that, just the, the general insight. I liked Adrian Amos. So when we brought him over, it was like, it's a great signing. He ended up being a great signing. And it's not that hard to figure out because he's been a very good football player for a long time. Zadarius, and for the amount of money... You're talking about a guy that has not been super productive in the NFL. He's been a rotational guy. And we're giving him, like, big-time starter money, like $17 million a year or whatever it was. That's that's bold. And I, I struggled with that one a little bit. Not that I wasn't excited, but it's like, for that money? Dude, come on. But just the, the, the production from Zadarius, the leader that we have in him in the locker room, but also just the confidence that it instills me in a guy like uh, Brian Gutekunst, because everybody around the the draft media or the not the draft media, the NFL media landscape was saying this was a ridiculous signing. And I had a hard time disagreeing with that. Turns out, as we should have learned by now, Gutekunst knows what he's doing and we all don't. I don't mean we don't know what he's doing. We don't know what we're doing. We don't, despite our uh, great imaginations, actually know how to build and run and manage a football team. To be fair, most GMs don't either, but Brian Gutekunst has done a pretty good job. All right, why don't we take a quick little break here? Do want to give a shout out to Check Pie, who left a five-star iTunes review. I greatly, greatly appreciate that. That means a lot. Thank you. And um, if you want to help out the podcast, you can do so for as little as a dollar a month over at patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy, or just jump in the Facebook group because I've asked a question there and I would love your feedback on it. I'm looking for... When I move into the house, as I mentioned, I'm going to have a little space, which is nice. And I want to kind of do it upright. And there's a couple different changes that I want to make. Some of them to the podcast that I'm kind of working through right now. Nothing bad, just kind of like extra features that I think will make it a little bit more entertaining, a little more smooth, and all that kind of stuff. But um, the, the weird thing is I've got so many different things in so many different places, and I need something to kind of tie it together. And so what I wanted was sort of a brand identity and, and kind of a new logo. Not for the podcast. The podcast logo is going to stay the same but just sort of a, a Pack Daddy logo that can be carried from place to place. Something that I can put on like t-shirts and stuff that I wear when I do podcasts. So I'm not sitting here wearing work shirts and nonsense like that. I want to have like a, a either a wood carving or a metal carving in the background of my YouTube videos, a uh, new YouTube you know logo introduction, all that stuff. But I want to get a good one. Well, I posted some pictures of some of my favorites that are up there. I have a clear favorite right now. 
But if you wouldn't mind, go into the Facebook group, find that post, and just maybe like the ones that you like. Leave those little comments here or there, like, I like it, but change this. And the biggest thing isn't so much the wording. They put Pack Daddy on everything, but it's really just the actual logo itself. So let me know what you think of those. Again, the wording isn't going to be as important because it's just the main logo that's going to be kind of carried around everywhere else. Something else to keep in mind is I want to kind of mechanize the logo prior to my intro. So if, if you can think of something like there's one that I like that's like a flame, that could be kind of a cool intro, you know, where it's like Pack Daddy and then it becomes PD and then it turns into a flame and whatever. I mean, that, that kind of stuff or mechanized, whatever. If you can think of things like that, a lot of people started putting wings on everything. I don't know why, but somebody did it and I thought it was cool. And now all the logo people making logos for me think that I want wings. I don't know, but it does look kind of cool. Anyways, just any comments, feedback, whatever would be appreciated. Let's take a break. We'll be right back. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. So I've kind of touched on this before, but I, I did have a question. This is from James Stage. He says, uh, just saw some guy say that the Packers are going to move on from Rodgers after the 2021 season. After reading that article, I find that it's just all speculation. Do you think the article or the man speculating holds any truth to this? So I'm assuming what he's referring to, and this is a bit old, but it's from CBS. Um, I'll read a little blurb of it here. You probably read it or saw it or whatever, but here we go. Quote, and this is a quote within a quote. This is uh, via a podcast, by the way, Nothing Personal with David Sampson. But he says, so the Packers would get two years of Jordan Love and then maybe sign his fifth-year rookie option. They could get three years before deciding whether or not he's the next franchise quarterback following Brett Favre and Rodgers. But if you had no plans to do that with Jordan Love, you would have converted Aaron Rodgers. I'm not sure why Packers fans aren't up in arms, but the executives are very aware 
that they've got him for one more year and then they're going to move on. So I've, I've kind of touched on this, that it's very weird that they haven't converted him. And again, the point is it gives them flexibility, but it doesn't lock them in. This is where he's very wrong about this. I have no doubt in my mind that the Packers do not want to erase Jordan Love by extending Aaron Rodgers or locking him into the next several years. They don't want to do that. They don't want to nullify ever having picked Jordan Love. That's stupid. And so they, again, they want to leave their options open. And by not locking in Aaron Rodgers, in other words, they move a little bit of money around with Aaron Rodgers, but it's not a done deal. It's not a for sure thing. They're still in a position where if they decide to move on from Aaron Rodgers after this year, they can. If they do not sign Aaron, or if, if they move on from Aaron Rodgers at year 39 next year, there's a $17.2 million dead cap hit, meaning we would save $25.5 million. Maybe we don't cut them that year. We wait until the next year. There's only a $2.8 million dead cap hit. We would save, again, $25.5 million. We don't save additional money. Now, remember, next year is absolutely horrific, and Aaron Rodgers accounts for $40 million against the cap. The pack, I'm sorry, but the Packers do not want to be stuck with that if they don't have to be. Now, a couple things. Number one, they may still be working on some kind of an extension or something, but there's, the point is, even if they come to some kind of an agreement, the real holdup here is Aaron Rodgers wants assurances that he's not going to be moved on from, and the Packers don't want to do it. That tells you everything you need to know. However, this is not them saying, we want Rodgers gone. This is just saying, we want to be able to keep our options open, and if you extend or, or convert any of this money, your options go bye-bye, Jordan Love goes bye-bye, and Aaron Rodgers is the quarterback of the future. And I know many of you want that. I don't care about Jordan Love. I don't care about the future. Give me two, three more years of Aaron Rodgers and then burn this thing down to the ground. I don't know why that's what you want, but many of you just want that. Just stop talking to me about Jordan Love. I want Aaron Rodgers forever. But again, to say that they have to move on from Aaron Rodgers is silly. Why? Why do they have to? They're not stuck. If Aaron Rodgers gets MVP again and Jordan Love is absolute hot garbage in, in, in uh, preseason and practice and all that stuff, why do they have to get rid of Aaron Rodgers? The answer is they don't. They can extend him next year. They can do whatever they want next year. This just gives them the freedom to evaluate as time goes on. They'd like to get a little bit more time to decide what they'd like to do. That's all it is. It, they're just leaving their options open. So I don't know if this guy just doesn't know what he's talking about or if this is clickbait nonsense or his ability to, to try to uh, really thinks it's going to happen so he wants to be able to say, I told you so. But th this does not follow logically. They do not have to move on from Aaron Rodgers. So, that, that, I mean, again, that's, that's where I stand. Yes, they're leaving their options open because it is a possibility, and they know that it's a possibility that the best option may be to move on, and that brings in several factors. Age, 39-year-old Aaron Rodgers compared to 24-year-old Jordan Love. Contract, $37.2 million cap hit with Aaron Rodgers. Did I say dead? I didn't mean to say dead if I did. $37 million cap hit with Aaron Rodgers. It's a $3.3 million cap hit with Jordan Love. And then there's talent. So it's, it's not just talent. As much as you'd love it to just be about talent, it's not. And that's why I've said in the past, Jordan Love doesn't need to be as good as Aaron Rodgers. And I think the only reason why this isn't more evident and why Aaron Rodgers has a little bit of power is because Jordan Love showed nothing, largely because he had no time, but even the little time he had, the reports weren't great. And Aaron Rodgers won friggin' MVP. So this is really throwing a wrench in their plans, which, yes, the plan was to eventually move on at some point. They were at least hoping that Jordan Love would be able to take that over, but they don't know if he can. So they're kind of delaying it. We're still hopeful that Jordan Love will be the future, but as of right now, 
We're kind of far from that. We got to close the gap. Now, here's my prediction. Aaron Rodgers will not win back-to-back MVPs. I hope he does. I'm not rooting against him, but I don't think he will because that's nearly impossible. And I don't think Jordan Love is going to be quite as bad. That doesn't mean he's going to be good enough to take over. But the point is, if these two things get close enough together, it's kind of like arcing. You know what arcing is? When electricity is jumping from one thing to another and they're not even touching. You get close enough and you're going to get blasted. If, if, if Aaron Rodgers drifts too far down and Jordan Love drifts really far up, and again, last year the analogy I gave, or not an analogy, but sort of a general parameter, not that uh, the Packers care about PFF grades, but just, just for context. If Aaron Rodgers is like the ninth best quarterback and Jordan Love is like the 13th best quarterback, I think Aaron Rodgers is in a lot of trouble. Because if you're talking about the ninth best quarterback that is now 38, 39, however old he is, years old, at $40 million, or the 13th best quarterback that's 24 and still has a lot of room to grow and learn and all the intangibles we could ever want and costs $3 million and completely not only solves our cap situation, but gives us some flexibility to re-sign our guys and go out in free agency and stack talent. I'm sorry, I'm going with 13 over nine. That's not a prediction. I'm just saying if that happens, it's not really that hard of a decision to make. So yes, they're keeping their options open. Now their back is up against the wall. They've got a fan base that's very mad that they're not extending Aaron Rodgers. You have a quarterback, that one MVP, that's not very happy that he's not getting that extension because he knows why, because he's not stupid. Hey, why don't you uh, restructure my contract? Just sitting there and I can't really stop you. What's up? Well, you know, we'll see. Is it because then you won't be able to cut me? No, Rodgers, come on. You're my boy, man, you know. Okay, then you should just do it. Just just move the money around. Yeah, it'd be fine. We don't want to bother you. You seem busy. I don't know. Just do it, man. Come on, Russ. Move my money. Nah, fine. We got like 500k from Amos, so about that about covers it. I think we're good. We're at, we're at we're at about uh, 0.5 million dollars right now. We're fine. Deep in the black sun. Deep. Just so deep. So it, it, I mean, it's a tough spot to be in because you're you're. I don't know why I feel the necessity to uh, bring analogies into this, but I was watching a YouTube video, and I watch a lot of, like, police stuff, like body cam, usually not great stuff. I mean, it's entertaining, but bad things happen. By the way, shooting in Philadelphia, again, condolences. It's becoming a daily, hope y'all are good message. But anyways, it was a mother and father, very elderly, like 80s, 90s, and the son had severe mental issues, and they called the police. And he was kind of on to them that they had called the police. And they're sort of trying to convince him that, they, that it's not the police. Like, no, nah, man, why don't you put your shoes on and, you know, like watch cartoons and stuff. Like, no big deal. The point is, he knows. And the parents know that he knows. But they're kind of playing it off like, nah, it's totally not it, man. And in the meantime, it's really just stalling, hoping the police get there in time. And by the way, they barely did. I'm not saying Aaron Rodgers is going to try to, you know, stab Brian Gutekunst. Nothing like that. But it's kind of that thing where... They're trying to get off this train, they're trying to move on, and they're trying to convey this image as best as they can, that now everything's fine, because you don't want to really mess things up just in case the thing with Jordan Love doesn't show up, or in the analogy, the police don't get there in time. Like, you don't want to just flat out be like, yeah, you know what, I do want to move on. Because if Jordan Love is trash, then you really messed up. You don't talk trash until Jordan Love really, you know, or like the cops show up, then you can be all big and bad, like, what up now, boy? Talking smack to me. You wait for Jordan Love to show up, and then you're like, out of here, dude, on my face. I don't know why in my mind this is going to be like a, a, a become a violent thing of like hatred and, and 
like there's a brawl breaking out or something. Maybe it will. I don't. It would be entertaining. Like if there's reports coming out that like Gutekunst and Rogers just like had at it. I don't know. I'm I'm off on a tangent, but I think that would be entertaining. At the very least, it'd be fun going to Twitter to find out which camp people are in. Is anybody even here anymore? Are we? Are, okay. Sometimes I don't know. Like I just feel like five minutes ago, people are like, "All right, I'm gonna find a different podcast." This is weird. But yes, they're leaving the door open. They haven't closed any doors. That's the entire point. They have not closed the door. They have not closed the door on keeping Rodgers and extending him until he's 45 years old. That is still a possibility. It's also a possibility that he's gone next year. I don't know. Pac- and Gutekunst doesn't know. That's the bigger point. You got a guy on, on a podcast saying, oh, they know for sure that they're moving on next year. No, they don't. They don't know that. All right, let's do one final question. Um, again, we're getting kind of thin at the question, uh, the pile of questions here. So if you got some sense on But this is a question from Derek Berg. Bergy? There has to be a point to the E at the end, but I can't imagine what it could possibly be. Anyways, he says, uh, maybe not the best way to ask you this, but what do you think of Vernon Scott in the slot? Let's pause for a minute. First thought is that I hope it happens so that we can start calling it Scott's slots. Right? These are Scott's slots. It's kind of like Scott's type. Anyways, he has the size and the speed to be in the slot, plus he played cornerback in college. Might also help against the run in the long run. I don't know if you've done a pot on it before, but I've been slacking. Okay, anyways. So let's let's ex- explore Scott's slots. And I think he brings it up because I mentioned I'm not super excited about him. I don't think he's necessarily going to be much. You know, he's a seventh-round pick. It happens. So there's not a ton of information to go on here. They don't... PFF is adding a lot of things, which have been extremely helpful, and I'm very excited about the new details they've added. They've added a lot of things for wide receivers, quarterbacks, and now they've just added things for offensive linemen. I kind of hope they start digging into more defensive players because for defense, it's kind of just defense and that's it. Um, One thing that would be nice because defenders play lots of different positions a lot of time is if they would break it down based on grades, based on what position you played. I can say this though, and and it's going to get people more excited than they should be, but it's somewhat interesting. So as I've noted before, I think we as fans kind of get stuck in players playing a certain position and that's it. Most players play lots of different positions. So there, there's different designations PFF gives, but if we just look at each individual one, Vernon Scott has played 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15 different positions. I know there's not 15 spots on the field, but it's it's depending on alignment, depending on side of the field, depending on all these different things, these are the different places that he's played. If we kind of shrink that down a little bit, he's played on the defensive line, he's played in the box, he's played in the slot, he's played at wide corner, and he's played at free safety. Um, that's basically every position because box includes strong safety. Now, in terms of him playing in the slot, out of his 90 snaps, he played 12 in the slot. The, the positions he played more the most he played was free safety 41 times and then in the box 32 times. Primarily linebacker, not strong safety, which the difference between those two, you know, it's it's kind of just little known fact about me. I actually applied to do this for PFF a long time ago, probably six, seven years ago. And it's really just like where you're standing on the field and you kind of mark it down. They may be considered a strong safety just standing a little bit closer to the line of scrimmage. So they marked him down as a linebacker. I, You know, it, it's whatever. But if we look at what game did he play the most in the slot, it was week 14. He played three times in week four, three times in week seven, once in week 10, once in week 16, four times in week 14. It's not a big jump, but it's the game that, so when we look at grades, we say, okay, how did he grade out generally? And then how does that compare to this week where he played the most? His overall defensive grade was a 57. Not very good. Week 14, his grade was a (laughs) 90.3. 
So again, this this is going to take people into all kinds of crazy places. Like, dude, he's going to be an elite slot corner. This is calm down. Everybody has little blips of really good games, and good players have blips of really bad games. We don't necessarily have to tie it into that, especially if we factor in, um, you know, weeks four and seven were three snaps, which is just one less than four snaps for those that are, you know, good at math. Week four, his grade was a 38. Week seven, his grade was a 46. So let's just calm down. But suffice it to say, he has shown glimpses of being very good, and his best ever performance was week 14, where he spent a considerable amount of time, four snaps out of 15 in the slot. If we go back and look at him in college, he actually spent more time in the slot than he is currently in the pros. His three main positions, uh, number one would be in the box, number two is at free safety, and then number three was the slot corner. And in terms of total amounts, 199, uh, actually no, number two was slot. So Number one was in the box, 200 snaps. Number two was in the slot, 167 snaps. So pretty pretty much a tie, like a three-way tie almost. Now, again, I wish I could break it down and tell you that this is how well he does in the slot compared to everything else, but I can't. And I, I'm just going to stand by. I wouldn't be surprised if they give him a shot just to see what he can do. I just would be, I, I, let's say I would be surprised if he ends up being a very, very good slot corner or even kind of serviceable. I, I tend to think that he's a guy that maybe could be a backup guy, but you kind of just want him to get off the field as soon as possible. That's just my assumption. I don't know. Obviously, I'm rooting for him, and I want him to be great. I just It's just based on experience, you know, seventh-round pick, safety. I tend to think he's going to fade into the sunset. But it would be nice if teams were a little bit more flexible, and I understand there's a lot of teaching and a lot of coaching that goes into teaching a guy a position, and you can't just say, okay, you suck at that, try this. Okay, you suck at that, try this. Because there, there might be years of trying to train somebody up, and then after like year three, it's like, all right, he's just not getting this. And if you keep moving him around, you're not giving him an opportunity to learn, and that's not really fair to the player. But it would be nice once in a while if, if we tried somebody at something else, right? If we had put Randall to safety, I really think it would have made a difference. He's, he hasn't been an elite safety by any stretch, but Demarius Randall was clearly a better safety than he was a corner, and we just would not stop playing him at corner. We just would not stop. He went to the Browns, and he was like a serviceable safety. So it's a thought, and it's definitely something to keep an eye on. And um, remember to give kudos to Derek if you start hearing in training camp how Vernon Scott is now in the slot, and this is some crazy thing, and wow, that's amazing. Derek gets props for it. Anyways, folks, I'm going to cut it there. I know this seems like a short episode, but I've spent about two hours on this because on days off I just tend to, I don't know, not be as focused. So I'm pretty exhausted. I need some coffee. Have a great day. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Bye-bye.